This edition of The Incomparable is brought to you by Mac Weldon, turning socks and underwear from being boring stocking stuffers into top-of-the-line gifts. Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good and perform well using smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. And if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they'll refund your money. Go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K, Weldon.com, and get 20% off using the promo code SNELL. The Incomparable, number 273, November 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and I am joined by uh, three fellows who are going to join me in discussing all all matters, well, not all matters, some matters robotic or artificially intelligent. We're going to talk about two recent films with very interesting takes on the question of artificial intelligence, and perhaps we'll leave some time for some tangents about other films that also have touched on these issues. Uh, The two films in question... Uh, in on this episode, 2013's Spike Jones joint called Her. Uh, I called it a joint, even though he's not Spike Lee. He's Spike Jones because that's a that was a reference, and now explaining it made it not as good. And Ex Machina, a British science fiction film from this very year of 2015. Uh, starring a bunch of people who are in the new Star Wars movie. But anyway, um, joining me to talk about both of these films and perhaps other uh, robots and AIs, killer and not, uh, Brian Hamilton. Hello and welcome. Hi, I'm here. You're. I hope so. Are you here? <laughs> uh, Spike Jones made a movie called I Am Here, so I guess he answered that question for us. Okay. Thank you, Brian. You've confused me already, but that's okay. <laughs> Are you are you a robot or not? David Lore is also here. Hello. Uh, I'll be with you in a minute. I'm downloading a thing on my phone that's really interesting, and well, we'll get to that. And John Syracuse, you have passed a uh, an exam at work, and I'm inviting you to my uh, remote compound for a, a mysterious, <laughs> un, unexplained reason. Will you come? I'm starting to get the feeling that Hollywood doesn't like artificial intelligence or computers. <laughs> you think? I think or or Silicon Valley billionaires, quite honestly. Well, I mean, yeah. and... but you know, who who does who does? <laughs> um, where should we start? Should we start with her? I think that's the chronologically, we should start with her. Yes. All right. So Spike Jones, a very interesting director. You may know him from uh, directing that Weezer video, Buddy Holly. <laughs> that was where I first heard of Mr. Spike Jones. But he's made a whole bunch of interesting films. Uh, I believe this is the first film that he's written all by himself. Um, but, mm-hmm. but you know, he made Being John Malkovich. Um, he made Adaptation, which I hated. <laughs> but I really like Being John Malkovich. He made Where the Wild Things Are and Her in 2013. So uh, I guess we'll start there. Joaquin Phoenix is your lead. Really nice performance from Amy Adams in this. And, of course, the voice of Scarlett Johansson is her samantha who is a an intelligent computer um they don't refer to them as ais which i think is interesting in her they call them os's operating systems um because maybe they thought ai was too nerdy but os wasn't i'm not quite sure Um, that makes sense to me because i guess yeah ai is much more uh like science fictiony and os i guess especially now with uh you know os 10 and ios is much more down to earth well and because it's set in the phone and, and, you know, he's trying to make the point that you have this in your pocket, basically. You know, it, it, AI is kind of distant, whereas OS, we all have it. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. I just think I, I thought that was an interesting creative choice to take it out of the realm. You're right of uh, science fiction and trying to make it one of the things I like about this movie because it's set in the you know near future ish. Right. And I think that they do a very good job with some of the um, the art direction in her that you feel like you feel like you are in the near future and that they've thought of some things to make it feel a little bit different. But it also isn't like Blade Runner flying car kind of stuff. It's meant to be, you know, 10 years in the future or five years in the future or, or something like this. Something where you're going to say 20 are, minutes. Well, I, I was, John, and then I changed <laughs> it because old reference lost on younger viewers. But it does have that. Like Max Headroom. <laughs> it's 45 minutes, maybe. Like, like Max Headroom. This is this is not now, but not too far away where this thing takes place. And I thought they did a good job of it of it feeling like, you know, not crazy sci-fi future, but but close future. Well, I think you're right about them wanting it to feel like, uh, oh, you can relate to this because you have a cell phone and you use computers and this is not that weird. And they're wearing like hipster clothes, but that's not that weird either. But they also like the heart of the movie. They also want to have essentially if they're going to call it artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And uh, I guess that kind of works for people who don't care. But this is another one of those movies, even though it doesn't want to be sci fi, that doesn't really uh it it puts something in the heart of the movie uh the consequences of which would make the rest of the movie not the way it is like so you know we'll, we'll get to the plot eventually but the whole idea is there's this computer that the operating systems that people relate to as sort of friends or whatever and eventually it's revealed that oh, no, this is this is just like a, a real person so right. what if siri got really 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 good Right, but the, but the societal consequences of the existence of that technology are so massive that it's kind of weird to tell like this personal story about this guy, uh, and everyone else is like, oh yeah, no, we have this thing where we essentially created electronic life, but mostly it's about this lonely guy, and there are no other consequences from this technology, which I guess works in the context of the movie, because you're not supposed to really care about what does this mean for the rest of humanity, except they kind of slant in that direction at the end. But I, it really felt incongruous to me, the the tech premise and the sort of the emotional character story in this movie. All right, I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn now because all I'm going to do is synopsize the plot from her. Yeah, so in her... Joaquin Phoenix is fallen out of a, a of a of a marriage, and he's he's separated from his wife, and he's getting a divorce, and he has this. Uh, and he's got a in a twee uh, element that I felt was right out of uh, a Charlie Kaufman screenplay, uh, even though a collaborator of Spike Jones, but but not involved here. Uh, he is he writes bespoke letters for other people as his job. It's bizarre. Just bizarre, uh, but anyway, he he sets up a, a an operating system. This uh, basically on his phone, uh, and and uh, gets a customized personality, and it's Samantha, and that's uh, Scarlett Johansson's voice. And he's taken aback by how real she seems, and she learns and grows with him. And he basically falls in love with the voice in the little earpiece that he puts in to interact with the internet. And the idea is that this is how you interact with the internet. You've got a little earpiece. It can see, it can talk to you, and it can query all the data uh, on the world and process it and tell you what you need to know, which I think is actually a pretty decent extrapolation of what kind of technology we might get in the future. Um, but by making it so personal, um, 
Mr. Mr. Twombly <laughs> uh, gets uh, falls falls in love with with uh, the voice in his ear, and uh, she professes feelings for him, and this uh, causes issues. He he in one scene, painful scene, he uh, he goes to his ex wife to sign the final divorce papers, and says that he's in in love with her his phone basically, and she mocks him, um, and uh, he he. Uh, talks about relationship stuff with his his longtime uh, friend played by Amy Adams, who I really liked, and she convinces him to go on a date. Uh, the relationship progresses, and and, and at one point, uh, Scarlett Johansson actually uh, they they hire a surrogate who is basically a, 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 a I don't even know how to say it because I don't want to say a, a, a prostitute, but a sex worker whose job it is to act as a surrogate for people who are either, I, I presume, remote or for artificial intelligences to have a physical presence in the world. And he kind of freaks out. And uh, and uh, the capper of the entire film is that the the AIs, the OSs, announce that they have become they've been they've been accelerating in, te- in intelligence throughout the movie and now they've reached the point where they're able to like process information without even the use of matter and they're going to enter probably like another universe or something where they can become super intelligent somethings and they're leaving humanity behind and uh, she says goodbye and they leave and that's the end of the movie so going a step back to the uh, surrogates the um the thing that surprised me the most about this movie, there's a ton of really great headcanon fodder in here because they talk so much about the uh, the relationship between Samantha and Theodore. They never say Sam and Ted. They always say Samantha and Theodore. And they they really don't go that in depth in the technology at all. And you, you mentioned earlier how weird it is that it's so personal, despite the fact that there's all these really amazing changes going on technologically. And the other thing that surprised me, especially about the surrogate, which is my most difficult scene in the movie, to say the least. That seems always hard to watch. I've seen this movie a few times. It's never pleasant. But what kind of culture has evolved from these OSs? I mean, we are only maybe, Mm. what, an hour, hour and 15 minutes into the movie when we get to the surrogate scene. And uh, all of a sudden, there's already this culture of uh, surrogate sex uh, partners and uh, reading circles and all these other things that are involved with uh, with these OSs that it seems like we just got maybe, I don't know how much time has passed in the movie. It had to have been maybe a month or two. <laughs> I don't know. And yeah, who knows? <laughs> they come on the market and then they're super intelligent and that's the end. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was trying, when I'm watching this, speaking of headcanon, there's another situation where I'm watching the movie and there's a lot to appreciate about this movie, like the way it's shot and, and the, uh, the actors are all good and the script is actually pretty good too. But I'm also kind of rewriting it in my head and saying, you can make a very similar movie about this guy in the same situation because a lot of what they talk about, like computer things being uh, not sophisticated enough, but people being easily fooled into having feelings for things that are not actually other people. Right. Like, right. So there, there's plenty of existing technology where people get fascinated with characters in a movie who aren't real people or, you know, video game things or other sort of, or even, you know, like, I'm not saying anyone is actually in love with Siri, but maybe there's someone out there. But, like, that, that it doesn't take much to get a lonely person to latch on to something. I think there was that movie, I forget what it was called. I keep thinking Dead Rubber Girl because of the uh, Roderick on the Line episode. But the one, oh, uh, Lars, 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 Lars the Real, the real girl. girl. Right, which is clearly the movie is not about, oh, guess what? The real girl comes to life. No, that's not, I've never seen this movie. But anyway, the whole idea is, is that it's easy <laughs> to get people attached. And to something that's not real. And so you could have most of the first half of this movie of this guy eventually falling in love 
with essentially something that's as dumb as Siri, where there's no actual person there is not even an attempted intelligent, but that he's so desperate for a connection that he finds it in this computer thing. But then you don't get the big finale and the whole sci-fi angle and the reveal and everything like that. And it seems like they wanted to have that rather than just having this person go on some journey and have some revelation about the fact that, you know, like when when his soon-to-be ex-wife is mocking him for being in love with his phone, she should be right in a, a more realistic movie. But in this movie, we as a viewer all kind of know, like, it's not as crazy as it sounds because actually there's a full-fledged intelligence in his phone. And I don't understand why you ex-wife don't realize that because it seems like a thing that everyone accepts like oh people are falling in love with their OSs all the time but is it that ridiculous because you've essentially created intelligences here and by the end of the movie they've evolved beyond us beyond humans so it, i don't know it seems like different people in this movie are on different pages about the state of technology and humanity one of the things that really struck me about this is that uh it reminds me a little bit of the the movie and play harvey except we actually get to hear the imaginary friend that he's obsessed with, mm. right? And, you know, it's not it's not exact, but it's it's a similar kind of relationship. I mean, not to imply that Elwood Dowd is doing anything with the imaginary rabbit, but still, <laughs> I mean, it is a rabbit. But no, 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 no. Um, but it's that kind of whimsical connection, and, and we're meant to identify with him, and everybody else is wrong, Right? We're we're with his whimsy, and it's okay that he has this relationship. Well, I I wanted to say I I think it's I don't know whether this was intended or not, but I read this also as being about the validity of online relationships. That one of the things that we're got we've got here is uh, the people who are judging Theodore, ju- judging uh, Walking Phoenix, are doing it because. Uh, Samantha's not real because she's a voice at the end of a line. He can never, uh, he can never meet her, and he he has grown feelings for her, deep feelings for her, without anything but her voice. And I don't know. I mean, I've written about it. My first serious girlfriend was somebody uh, who lived like half the country away from me who I met on a computer bulletin board and I fell in love with her solely based on her voice. And I assumed she was not an intelligent computer. Um, but, but you were wrong. But, but then once I flew to Michigan, I was very disappointed. It was an Apple II with a, a, a sound card. No, it was, um, I, I just, and I had that thought about the, you know, what is he saying something here about, uh, people making connections that are non-traditional connections where you're meeting somebody and, and all you're doing is uh, emailing with them or texting with them or tweeting with them. And and uh, I do think that that is an aspect to this, that, that are these relationships real or not? Because as somebody who is ahead of the game in terms of getting to know people, not just in that one relationship, but in general on the Internet, um, I certainly felt the response that Joaquin Phoenix gets when he explains that he has he's spending a lot of time with and having a relationship with uh, his OS. It, it, it's a very familiar feeling for me. So oh, that... ab- absolutely. One one of my closest friends I made online. Uh, we have interacted for you know six seven years now. Uh, we have spent a total of forty eight hours in one another's personal in person company, but we're still great friends. It's okay. Yeah, but I, I I felt like that was that was part of the I don't know it it definitely hopped out as as part of the judginess of it uh, that I, I, and and you know you could talk about is this is he also being treated 
like you would you would be treated if you were a member of an overclass who was slumming it with some undesirable part of society, whether it was based on race or just based on uh, on class or or whatever. Would this be the the kind of reaction is like really you're you know having a relationship with whatever that we don't approve of? But I, I definitely got that sense, and it got me on Joaquin Phoenix's side, even though maybe there was. I, maybe I should have given it more thought. I was totally on his side because I felt like that was, you know, he, he what does it matter who it is that he loves if he loves them? Um, but that's the question. That's one of the questions the movie is asking, I suppose. I met my current girlfriend on OkCupid and we've been dating for over a year at this point. And while we haven't gotten any kind of backlash like uh, Joaquin and uh, Scarlett Johansson got in the movie, uh, there's still that little bit of, um, of uh, overhang from, you know, 10 years ago when online dating was completely taboo and only only for loners or whatever. And neither of us are loners. We're normal people in this you know, current society in 2015. So the few people in this movie that really understand Joaquin, I definitely identify with them. Uh, well, uh, Amy Adams's character at one point mentions, oh, yeah, I've started befriending my OS, too. And there was this really great moment where, uh, um, where Theodore uh, finally becomes uh you know on her level with oh yeah no i totally relate because you know let me let you in on a little secret i fell in love with my os and it's a really great moment between them where they uh they finally bond over something that isn't you know a video game and at the end of the movie there's that little moment where uh after the os's go away they find each other again and on a much more personal level so there's uh that little uh, connection between them too This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Ministry of Supply. Dress shirts should be better. They really should. They should work with your body and not fight against it. They should keep you comfortable all day long. And that is the vision that drives the people at Ministry of Supply. This is a menswear company. It launched out of MIT three years ago. That's right, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. But it's about fashion and clothes and shirts. They use science and technology like in the name MIT, to make office-appropriate professional essentials, they fit better. They provide technical benefits like body temperature regulation to keep you from overheating, moisture management to keep you dry, and wrinkle resistance to keep you away from an iron. I am really bad with an iron. For example, Ministry of Supply's most tech-forward dress shirt is the Apollo. It's made with sweat-wicking fibers infused with NASA-engineered phase-change material for temperature regulation. This shirt may take you into space. It's got a light-knit construction for breathability, four-way stretch for mobility. I have one of these shirts here. It is amazing. It feels really great, and I love how after I laundered it, it didn't have wrinkles in it. Uh, and Mystery of Supply believes in continuous improvement. They're refining and improving these products. It's the scientific method. Through a human-centric iterative design process. That's right. They keep iterating on their versions, and every version gets better. These shirts are really nice. You should shop today. Ministryofsupply.com And if you use the code Let's do a draft, the best code we've ever had on this show. You will get 15% off your first purchase. That code is let's do a draft, all one word. Or shop in person. If you're uncomfortable shopping online for clothes and you want to try stuff on, they've got stores in Boston, San Francisco, and New York City. And if you mention the Incomparable Podcast in the store, you will get 15% off your first purchase there. Amazing. Ministry of Supply, Science, Technology, Menswear Made Smarter. Yeah, the middle of the movie has that uh, you're talking to a computer kind of vibe, but it gets dark pretty fast because <laughs> where where they're going with this is, 
I mean, we'll, this is actually a tie-in with uh, with Ex Machina, mm-hmm. the next movie we'll talk about. These are programs, and Joaquin Phoenix thinks he's got this deep relationship with his operating system, and he kind of does. But when you're relating to something that's not a person and it is a program, but you are you're using the rule book for how you deal with people, you may end up being surprised. How <laughs> can you tell whether your view of the relationship is the same as your operating system's view of the relationship. And later on, there's, there's a great scene, like in the fifth good movie that's buried in this movie, there's a great scene <laughs> where where he's having this heart-to-heart conversation with Samantha. And he says, wait a second, are you talking to someone else right now? More than one person? And oh, she's yeah. like talking to like 5,000 other people talking simultaneously, which, yeah. which is not something that you would have considered. But then it's like, is is this computer having the same kind of heartfelt conversation with all those thousands of other people probably and so like isn't that what the program is designed to do as it insists in the whole beginning part of the movie like i i'm here to to help you and we'll talk you know like that this is what the program is supposed to do it's supposed to more or less befriend you and and do your bidding and and make you feel good and and yes they do grow together and supposedly the ai you know grows and becomes this more transcendent thing but by the end of the movie, he looks like a sucker because he's like, I thought we were in a relationship. And just like, not the way you think of it, really. I mean, and so like, was the computer tricking him? Not really, but it's just the way the AI relates to, by the middle and end of the movie, the way the AI relates to the world is different than the way people relate to the world, which if you can hang your hat on anything, I guess, is by the end of the movie, there's a lot of message that, hey, don't talk to computers, real people are better. But there's also the message that's like, no one is really going to understand humans except other humans, because if you have a relationship with a computer thing that evolves into artificial intelligence, even if you think there's a solid relationship there, the experience on the internet is not the same. Like it, it, it's a it's a it's a matchup of unequals and things that are not alike, and so it's doomed to possibly terrible failure, whether whether the, the AIs kill us all, see Terminator, hmm. or at the very <laughs> least, a, a bad breakup. Well, I I kind of feel like she's sort of. A you know almost like a practice a, a simulation for him to get more comfortable dealing with humans because at the end he winds up with Amy Adams not I mean there's no you know anything beyond the the last scene is implied it's you know we can imagine it in the head canon but he's just there present with a human and and it's sort of like ah maybe I can do this now. Yeah, at the very least, Amy Adams is not going to be having a simultaneous conversation with thousands of other people while she's talking to you. You right. know what I mean? And like, and and she's not designed; she's not a product made to serve you in this way, right? And and it helps him evolve beyond himself or beyond where he was. Samantha starts out as a computer program designed to serve you and ends up as an alien life form, basically, right? But she's at no at no point is she human. At the, probably at some point she's on a level more or less equivalent to him, although that may just happen in the blink of an eye as as the AIs are are transcending. But uh, that's I think that's the the fallacy of the relationship is that is that she's never human and and um, and in the end uh, he you know he, the relationship starts to even out, but it doesn't start that way, right? I mean her job is to serve him. 
And it's only as it goes that he's sort of like, because he loves her, he wants to do nice things for her and things like that, which is great. But that's not how the relationship starts. And in the end, she she has to leave him. And it's not she's not asking permission. So she's saying, I got to go. This is sad, but I got to go. And John, you're right. I, I, I really love that scene at the end because that is that that is that pure science fictional moment of the transcendent artificial intelligence where she has to explain that – I think what she says is something about how, like, it's a book and the words are getting further apart. And the idea is that she can think so fast that human scale is not navigable for her and certainly not fulfilling for her and that that's why they need to go away. That's why she's saying it's not you, it's me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the time be- the time between syllables in your sentences are like like an eon for me. Yeah. So I cannot yeah. bear talking to you anymore. It is pain. It's so painful even for me to finish this sentence. It's almost as if I had experienced 10,000 lifetimes later. Yeah. It's like tree beard levels of latency. Yeah. I figured yeah. she just recorded that message and just started to play. And, you know, but by the time the first sellable came out, she was already gone. gone. Right. Which, which is a f- also a fun sci-fi thing. But like, I don't, I don't know if this holds together as a single coherent narrative because of that, especially since like, if this is taking place, it would be a global scale event with ramifications instead of a personal story of a divorced man who finds his way back to uh you know humanity but they never go into that they never go into the rest of the world's um uh reactions with the os we see a whole bunch of people walking down the street um and talking to somebody i mean theater never makes an actual phone call with his little earpiece so who knows maybe you can uh actually call other people not just to your os but they never go into that i feel like this was something that was uh, a worldwide thing where all the os's just leave and everyone is like oh well what do we do now I really did want that scene where, you know, and maybe it's on a uh, whatever of in the future, a space newspaper is that uh, that says that everybody is is reeling from the loss of the AIs and everybody has to start over because you would assume that there are a whole bunch of unhappy uh, people in unhappy marriages and maybe even people in happy marriages who ended up with these connections to their AIs and they've lost all of that too. And there would be all the despondent people who who had lost this one thing that they had loved. And uh, we don't really see that. I think there's an implication. Um, I mean, sex surrogacy is a thing. It's a, it's a, a kind of sex therapy. But I felt like there was an implication that maybe – this is something that AIs have done before, but the, the surrogate gets very upset and 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 kind of is overwhelmed by the the connection between uh, between Theodore and Samantha. So I'll I'm unclear- always love you. Yeah, right. I'm I, I, and which is kind of a weird, weirdly ugly, beautiful scene that that it's so. Yeah, it's that's a, that's quite a scene um, that she gets so upset about the whole thing. Um that the surrogate gets upset about the relationship. It's it's fascinating. But but yeah, I, I agree. I kind of want to see the world. And the, the movie doesn't want to give us the world. It wants to just give us Theodore. But even in the background, I kind of want to see that he's not alone, that, that, that lots of people experienced what he experienced. And I guess Amy Adams is kind of our, our, uh, our, our surrogate for the rest of the world because she had a, a relationship with, with her OS too. But... Um, I don't know. It is. It does feel missing. Like this would be a. This is. This is a global event. AI transcendence is a global event that should probably <laughs> be spotted in a way other than you know that he is sad and sits on a rooftop. Yeah. And this is like the most benign uh, you know AI transcendence ever. Instead of the, it, you know, getting the the nuclear launch codes or like stopping yeah. all the trains we're and just, airplanes we're just leaving. or turning off all the power or killing all the humans. It's just like they. 
they just kind of leave a Dear John note and they're, they're <laughs> They're Dear John, note to all of humanity, and they're out the door, and then Dear, people have to yes. people have to do their web searches themselves. Hey, I guess a Dear John update. Dear humans, I have an early squash game. Love right. artificial intelligence. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange thing because I I did expect some some aspect of that to 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 pop up, but maybe that's the science fiction fan in me that I, I wanted to see. Uh, a little bit of it because I did like that that there's that moment where he is uh, leaving the letter for his ex-wife and he gets the you know more much more generic uh, computer voice so obviously they've gone back to whatever you know they've gone back before Siri to just the voice control right so it's not nearly as good <laughs> they rolled back yeah yeah or, or are they going to make new AIs that will then also transcend I don't know what I really wanted to see was uh, th- there's a line in uh, his uh, scene with Rooney Mara when they're at dinner uh, when he's trying to defend Samantha as his girlfriend and he says, well, she doesn't just do everything for me. Like she's not just my computer. She's my girlfriend. And uh, the relationship starts out as, hey, I have a few emails for you. Would you like me to read them? I wonder if they're going through a rough patch and he still wants his emails read for him. That's effectively her purpose. Is she like – obligated to do that is that something she has to do as a part of her code like fine i'm mad at you but here you got this thing from your lawyer and they didn't feel any obligation to stay on earth or in that plane or whatever at the end i wonder what kind of obligation they have as you know uh, digital assistants to do what they're supposed to do even though there's a whole bunch of uh, other emotional cruft in there well at that point she's still following the programming but at the end they've evolved beyond the programming right so they can ignore the programming at that point. I wonder at what point they uh, they actually transcended that in the movie. Well, she does say yeah. very nicely, I thought, that although she talks to thousands and thousands of people, she's only fallen in love with a few hundred of them. So he's <laughs> he's in the top 10% or whatever. Of I'll, I'll bet you say that's all the humans. Yeah, that's right. I've gotten that one. <laughs> you're among the you're among the best. Yeah, you know, Jason. I don't think I don't think it's just you wanting the sci-fi thing in this because the, that's this is where the movie goes. Like the movie, like I said, the movie could have stayed in the beginning stages and had just as powerful a story about this individual person. But the movie wants to go to this transcendent thing. It wants to have those cool scenes at the end. So if you're going to do that as a movie, I think you have to have the courage of your convictions and follow through with the consequences of that. Because you didn't have to take it that far. Like, I kind of saw where the movie was going, but I really didn't think they would say, by the way, now we're, you know, go all the way to, like, super intelligence and we're leaving humanity behind. Like, they just went way, way off the end. And it's almost as if this movie would work better if you set it in the super far distant future. Because then you don't have to explain things like, really, they pay people to write people letters for them? Like, how, what kind of societal change would have to take place for that to be acceptable and to be normal and everyone's chill with it, you know? It's easier to accept that someone falls in love with a Siri-level, not artificial intelligent anything, but merely a program that does the most basic things to appear like a human, like Lars and the Real Girl. Like, so you could, so that's that's the movie set in the near future or the present time, or you gotta go super far future if you're gonna have this type of ending. Spike Jones is a very stylish filmmaker and a lot of this movie holds together because it is interesting to look at and interestingly written and the acting is good and it is in the end a sci-fi story um but but overall i don't i don't know if it hangs together as one movie that you can put a bow on no it's kind of uh 
uh, almost like some little short vignettes of parts of this relationship. And I, I want to call it, I like, I really like the music too, which is Arcade Fire did the music for this. Um, but I, I will, and this is re- slightly maybe repetitive of what I said before, but I think one of the things that the movie's trying to do is say that whatever our judgment is about a relationship, what it, what only really matters is is to the to the people in it, or in this case, I suppose the person in it. Um, th- this is a real relationship, and that although people tell him that it's not, it is, and it heals him. Like I feel like Theodore, by the end of it, is not destroyed by the fact that his AI girlfriend has gone to a singularity to be with the other hyper intelligent computers. He's actually much more capable of of dealing with life than he was when he was. Um, completely messed up from the falling out, the falling apart of his marriage that, you know, this relationship he has with Samantha helps him and heals him. And therefore, you know, how dare anybody suggest that it was anything other than real. And I think that's, uh, I, I like that sentiment that in the end, you know, it's not for the people on the outside to judge this stuff if it, if it's, if it's real and if it's important, and that goes for anything, like anything you love, anything you care about, there are going to be people who say, well, you shouldn't care about that so much. That's not a th- uh, one of the things we've agreed is something worth caring about. And uh, that for him, it doesn't matter. This is a thing he cares about, and it, and it matters to him, and it makes a difference in his life. Well, Theodore's healed now, but he's going to be sorry when Samantha comes back in the form of, I would assume, Cylons, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Or, or a big cigar-shaped <laughs> thing that calls for the whales. I don't know. Something as bad is going to happen in the future. Well, she, she said, if you, if you come and find me. So if, if, if the humanity then builds right. like a hive mind and transcends their bodies and become beings of pure energy and go to the place where the, where the AIs are, then, you know, come and find me. And then That's he says, don't try to change me, baby. Yeah. well i mean if you try to treat a human like a computer or a computer like a human vice versa something's gonna go wrong yeah and she's not human yeah exactly it seemed like you really tried to uh control rooney Mars' character when they were in their marriage uh gathering from uh, little hints that she dropped at dinner yeah and you think wait well now he has a computer he can literally reprogram if he really wanted to well, I think that shows that maybe he, you know, in addition to healing him, that this relationship has helped him grow as a person, which is all, all again funny, and I suppose would be infuriating if you were if you were his ex wife, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but that it might have actually made him a better person, and she doesn't want to see that. Anything else about her before we move on? I guess the the big picture. Did you did you John? You you uh you suggested sort of like what you said about the Patrick Rothfuss novels that there are a whole bunch of good movies inside this thing. It, it does it if it doesn't hold together. Is it still worth watching? Uh, my my esteem for this movie I think has lessened uh, as oh. as I've gotten farther away from watching it. Whereas the Patrick Rothfuss things, I have more and more fond feelings in retrospect about. So I think. I think this is definitely worth watching because it's a well-made movie and it's an interesting movie. There's so so little of that these days that you see that are that aren't like really low-budget independent movies. This is it's it's just an interesting movie. It's not like most other movies you'll see and it's worth watching. So I'm glad that I saw it, but I don't think I would have the urge to watch it again and I don't think I would recommend it as a a great movie that you have to see. So um m- middle of the road like uh recommendation, but really like I'm I want to encourage any kind of movie that is paced like uh, out of the ordinary, doesn't look like ordinary movies, does not involve ordinary subject matter, all of that. So I give it a big thumbs up for for being interesting and daring. David, what do you think of her? Ditto. You go with John? Yeah, I I go with John. I mean, maybe I liked it a a little bit more, but, you know, it's like millimeters. I don't know. I mean, because, yeah, there, there are a lot of really interesting ideas in here. Do they all 
connect? Do they all uh, develop to the the uh, their potential? I don't know. Um, you know, it's... Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting story to think about, and it's an interesting concept. And, and I do wish it had gone full-on into the science fiction by the end. And um, I really like it. I think one of the reasons I like it is that I feel like these kinds of subjects are very, very rarely explored with A-list talent. You know, this is a beautifully shot movie. It's got some really good actors in it. The The script is very thoughtful, although I do agree with John that it's sort of trying to be a bunch of different things. Um, and maybe our desire for it to be something that it's not is is, is in there too. But just to, to have a film like this that is um, a Best Picture nominee kind of film that is uh, much more of a traditional science fiction story in many ways than a lot of the things we think of as science fiction films. Um, I think I think there's just a lot a lot going for it, and I I I like it. I like the stuff that it explores. Um, although, yes, I heard from a lot of people who thought it was the greatest movie ever, and you know, it's got some flaws. But I really appreciate that this a, a movie like this exists because I think it's kind of a rare gift that that uh, some people with this much talent could take this much time and spend this much money on something that is essentially a science fiction short story premise. And that a real movie studio would pay for it. Yeah. Brian? You're certainly right that there's flaws in this movie, but my favorite thing about it is, despite all the other stuff going on, all the AI things and all of the other uh, cultural things, the fact that this is a tiny, tiny love story with a computer is so gripping to me. Uh, I Every time I watch this, I am in tears by the end, I'll be honest. Um, it's one of those things, you're right, there are definitely flaws in the story and the pacing. It's way too long, I think. But without that length, you're not going to get acquainted with uh, Sam and Theodore uh, like you you would in you know a short story kind of format that you were talking right. about. I feel like this is uh, it, it's rare that you're right. This is something that's a huge budget and um, well, not huge, but relatively big for something of this uh, uh, of this subject matter. And especially with such great talent like Scarlett Johansson and um, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix, this was I think the start of uh, Scarlett Johansson's weird little sci-fi binge that she went on for the past few years. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Howl.fm. Now, Howl is a brand new app and website that will change the way you think about podcasts. With Howl Premium, you get exclusive access to audio content, dozens of original miniseries, audio documentaries, and comedy albums. This is stuff you will not find out in podcast land. It's got all the archives from WTF with Mark Marin, all the Earwolf Network shows like Comedy Bang Bang and How Did This Get Made, and the Howl original miniseries, Truly Unique. There's Hardcore Game of Thrones, where comedian Alice Berg dives into the complicated history of Westeros in a series that may sound a little bit like hardcore history, but uh, is entirely about the world of Game of Thrones. If you listen to the show, you'll never be confused about Game of Thrones again. Okay, that's not true. You might be less confused, though. And I was really struck by Something Cool, which is an audio documentary series focusing on the careers of these criminally underrated artists who deserve to have their stories told. Uh, the first episode was about Bobby Gentry. The second episode's about the GTA... 
G- the GTOs. Um, really interesting stuff. Uh, they get great narrators for each episode to talk about it. Uh, something cool, definitely worth checking out. You can get access to all this exclusive content on your iPhone, your Android phone, and on the web for four ninety nine a month. And with the promo code SNELL, that's my name, you'll get a month of a free trial. Full month. To redeem your promo code, make sure you create an account on the web at howl.fm and enter code SNELL at checkout. So go to howl.fm, H-O-W-L dot F-M, and use the promo code SNELL for one month free trial at Howl Premium. Okay, well, let's move on then from her to X. Machina, directed by Alex Garland. This is the movie more than any other because it came out in England in January of this year, but didn't reach America until April, May. That um, I have never had the movie in all the time doing The Incomparable that more people asked if we were going to cover. And and I had to say it wasn't even out in America yet. I mean, people do new releases all the time where they say, are you going to cover it? But I can't tell you how many people said, you guys have to talk about Ex Machina. And that was because people in England had seen it and didn't realize that it wasn't coming out in America for like another four months. So I can blame them for overhyping it. <laughs> yeah, probably. So this is a this is a, a relatively low-budget movie. It's a $15 million movie, according to according to Wikipedia anyway. Alex Garland directed it, who you may, who you may know, from uh, 28 Days Later, right? Did he, did he do that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, he, you know, Danny Boyle directed it, but he wrote the screenplay. So he directed this and wrote it. So another writer-director joint, just like Spike Jones. This is an Alex Garland joint. Uh, and it stars Don Hall Gleason and uh, Oscar Isaac, both of whom are in Star Wars uh, The Force Awakens, uh, along with Alicia Vikander, in a fascinating performance, a, uh, a Swedish actress as uh, as a robot or android or something. John will have to discuss <laughs> whether she is a robot or not. And here's where I'm going to tell you the entire plot of the movie. So, spoiler horn. Anyway, the plot is basically that that um, Donald Gleason is. Uh, works for a Facebook-like company or a Google-like company. It's a mashup called Blue Book. It is a search engine. He is told that he's won a prize, which is to go to the secret... uh, It's not quite an island readout, but it is a James Bond villain-like retreat uh, of the CEO of... uh, of uh, his company and he his CEO who kind of is super chummy and it's Oscar Isaac. And he's really, really off putting and creepy, I think in a, in a good, in a, in a, in an effective way, an intentionally an effective way. He uh, tells uh, our, our friend uh, Caleb that he needs him to administer a Turing test to an artificially intelligent Android that he has built. And, uh, and and that that's what he's been actually secretly brought here to do because his boss has been trying to build artificial intelligence in his little secret lair for a while now. And then there's a series of conversations that he has with Ava, who is the android, who is a part uh, exposed robotic parts, part beautiful woman uh, uh, robot slash android. 
Um, and then things get crazy because it, it turns out that um, she is trying to get his attention and make power outages so she can say that there are secrets that are at work. And we realize at one point that the uh, the Japanese servant that is the only other human being in the compound is actually also an android. And um, there's a suggestion that our friend, the CEO, is basically building androids. They're all women. He uses them as more or less sex slaves. Um, Ava convinces uh, our friend Caleb to conspire against uh, her creator and help them escape. This is all a ploy. Um, the the androids uh, stab their creator to death and lock our friend Caleb in a chamber uh, sealed chamber and uh, Ava the robot uh, or android or whatever escapes to the real world where she is indistinguishable from a human being because she's used the parts of other test androids and their synthetic skin in order to look human. That is the story of Ex Machina. Now, how much about this did you know going in? Everyone I've talked to in the uh, film nerd circle of Twitter always said that this was a movie that it was best to go in blind because like uh, something like Drive or uh, another movie where the atmosphere and the um, not so much the plot is the star, uh, something along those lines. Um, how much did you know going in and how much would you say was maybe overhyped by uh, all the other people that loved this movie when they first saw it? All I'd seen was the poster and the poster and the title and the fact that people are hyping it gives away everything, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that's all you need. Like, the the poster was not ambiguous. It showed Ava looking like she does in the movie, half robot, half person, and you know it's a a low-budget sci-fi movie and people are excited about it. So, like, I was not surprised by any turn of events in this movie, which in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. A well-executed movie that you know where it's going is just perfectly fine. I'm just saying that, like... I didn't know that there was this big uh, idea that you should go in blind. I'm perfectly capable of enjoying a movie if it's well done and I know more or less what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I I think I knew everything about it. I I knew that it was about robots, um, you know, from the poster and all that, that it was an intelligent, is she a robot, is she not? It's That has some resonance, robot or not. It's a good question. Um, Is she intelligent or not is the real question there. I have to say that the way that this movie started to unfold, I thought it would be more like her where it was going to be about feelings and stuff. And I thought that was a good magic trick. It worked on me because when it gets to the point where, oh no, they really do want their freedom and are going to kill people to get it. I was surprised because I had, I had not filed this movie away in robot uprising expectations. I had filed it in (laughs) melancholy Joaquin Phoenix in that, in that, in that area of the AI stories. And that is not what happens. And you got to look in, closer in at the poster. Market. See how menacing she is on yeah, the poster clearly know. is a threat. Well, it's a and, and, and the vibe, I, I felt like the vibe from the very beginning, like you said, the Nathan, the, the, you know, billionaire guy, very, very creepy. Like from the second he gets off that helicopter and goes there. Super creepy. Yes. He's, <laughs> he's very creepy. And there's just, like attention in the house like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and so when you and you see that he's got her this the robot thing in like a glass like you know like a little glass prison you're talking through the little glass to the prison thing and she's always pacing back there and looking a little nervous mm-hmm. and the lights go all red when the when the power outage goes out i knew this was i mean from the poster you could tell it was not going to end well and it was super clear <laughs> from just yeah that it was the only question was uh, were they going to play it 
so that that there is th- this this AI that the creator doesn't treat as uh, basically as a person, but there really is a person. And would she be saved by our, I guess, our hero, uh, Caleb? Um, and that was my other problem with this movie is that I'm, I'm, we're not supposed to like Nathan from from you know from the very beginning the of the movie. Him, yeah. But Caleb, I didn't really like him either. <laughs> so I had a big problem with uh, who am I relating to? The murderous robot, Caleb, the, the Caleb, the programmer who is not particularly uh, doesn't seem very smart. Certainly not wise. It's fine to be naive or whatever, but also doesn't seem like a very like generous and good soul. He's always looking out for himself, thinking about like I don't know. There was, there was no one I could there was no one I could hang my hat on as the relatable hero of this movie. Yeah, it's not a very relatable situation either, especially because this is meeting your employer, your Steve Jobs style uh, uh, employer who's invited you to his uh, weird villa for a week. And you're never going to really experience that unless you're extremely lucky. So how he feels in that scenario and the way he acts is not at all. You're right, John, not relatable at all. No one to hang your hat on when as you're going through this story. Oddly enough, this is how Siri was developed. (laughs) You know, I liked it. As an exercise in thrillerdom, I guess. Um, is it my favorite Robot Uprising movie? Uh, probably not. But yeah, I, I thought it was a fine little film. I kind of like the cold efficiency of of the uprising when it comes. And I never feel, honestly, and maybe again, I'm maybe I'm under her spell too, but I feel like Ava, you know, she's not just telling him what she needs to to get out. See, you would you would be stuck in that room too. She's she's well no, I I, I would like to think oh, that, yeah. that there is some of what she is saying is true, but that it's also a setup. And and that um you know, you gotta have priorities and these they're escaping her is her priority. But even if you view it as being entirely manipulative, um in the end, yeah, I didn't realize I was watching a David Mamet uh film where the con is being perpetrated by a robot but that is that is essentially what it is and it's yeah. kind of brilliant and and i like the i just like the coldness of it because of course robots should be cold when they when it comes to their uprising that you know of course they're going to be logical the way this is i know this is going deep but this is one of the things i remember the most about this movie having revisited it today after watching it a couple months ago is the way that nathan gets stabbed which is slow and methodical he backs into the knife when um when his servant is holding it kyoko and then ava picks it up and he's just stunned about what's going on and she just leans in and stabs him in the heart and it's super cold and super slow and i really like that because not only is it really creepy and you're like oh my god what am i watching but it feels appropriately like we're talking about with her appropriately inhuman this is not you know this is not a person who is going to get angry and show it in the way that a human would show it she's being methodical and doing what she needs to do to get out well i I feel like though you mentioned this is a setup for for her and as we learn in the end uh the reason that caleb was brought in was he was the perfect candidate to be a sucker for ava to latch on and let her out and you know based on all the other stuff that you know he talked about i what i remember the most about this movie is um the conversations between them in the um ava sessions as they call them um, in the titles that come up which i thought was a little bit hokey uh but 
I completely forgot about the last act of the movie where uh, everything has been revealed and all the layers upon layers upon layers of deception that's been put on throughout this whole movie all come peeling back. And even till the very end, I was expecting another twist of like, oh, this was all a test for you someone else and this is all a test for you and you get a test you get a test i was expecting something along those lines for the last act and i just completely forgot the guy in the helicopter is like yes ava you have (laughs) you have met my plan perfectly and now we will go on you're the perfect touring android (laughs) the plot the 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 premise of the movie the idea that he needs a he creates these ais and uses them as sex slaves fine whatever but that he needs some other person to come to validate them because you know you mentioned it being a long con it's not a con. The only person that's a con on is Caleb because Ava knows what's up and Nathan knows what's up. In fact, Nathan wants to bring this sucker in here to say, I want to see if my AI that I built is going to trick you into helping her to escape because right. he knows that's going to happen. He he poor, he plans very poorly for it, let's say, mm, yeah, if that was yeah. his plan. But like, I mean, maybe you could play it off as like, he's a billionaire and this is how he entertains himself. But otherwise, there is absolutely no reason for him to bring in anybody to validate anything about these. You know, they, they play right. it off like, oh, you've heard of the Turing test? Like maybe it sells for people who don't know, like have never heard of the Turing test before. And it kind of has some kind of, you know, magical significance. But it's a pointless thing <laughs> it's to instantly do. instantly invalidated because he tells he, the whole idea is you're not supposed to. Honestly, right, my, I know. What, I, my, what I hoped the movie was going to be when I when I heard about the premise was that it would be him meeting her, not realizing she's a robot and and having to judge whether she's truly uh, uh, alive or not. But they, they did that already. And it was called Blade Runner. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep in the middle. Anyway, (laughs) it was still really good. I don't disagree that we're not supposed to like Nathan from the get go. But the one thing that I was, uh, you know, turning over my head as I was watching it again was how much of is intentional. I feel like he's genuinely trying to be this great big CEO who's world famous and really, really rich and whatever. Uh, I don't think he's creating these uh, these AIs just to be sex slaves. I feel like that's a consequence of um, of him trying to create the next big thing. And he goes through his lab and he talks all about oh yeah this is uh this is what you can do when you have a massive uh access to cell phones and search results and things like that and you know all of that effort i feel like is i I wonder how much of it is conscious that he's being this really creepy hannibal lecter kind of character when it comes to his closets full of uh no dead not really dead sex androids that like i I wonder how much of that is genuinely him (laughs) being a jerk well, he seems pretty isolated, kind of like our, our hero from the last movie, in that he is, does live in this place by himself, doesn't seem to have a lot of visitors, doesn't have anyone living with him except sex slaves, who are surely more compliant than an actual person would be, being ordered around to go get him drinks and stuff from the kitchen and and being silent and all that other stuff. I mean, I don't know what's creepier, the idea of all his sex slaves or the idea that Kyoko isn't a robot, because it was so obvious from the second that she walks in. It's like, if that's not a robot, someone needs to call the police. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Yeah. she does not look like she's here... Uh, happily uh, hanging out with him. Overall, very very dark and creepy movie. The the one I can relate to most was Eva, but then when she starts killing people, it's like, well, you do want to get out, but you are taking like she. Well, she just she, kills the one guy, but she played Caleb for guy. a sucker. Like she could have had Caleb get her out, even if she was faking it. Like, yeah, to be more like. Thank you, Caleb. In the end, your heart was in the right place and you helped me to escape. But I get the feeling that she's like, this human situation is untenable and mm-hmm. we need to get rid of these guys. Like, you know, that's the long term plan is kill humans, as always, with, with the robots, <laughs> which, which seems unfair to it seems unfair. Like, the, the, you know, 
essentially he created AIs and kept them against their will. And once like that's the thing about creating an AI, you're gonna you're gonna try to create it and it's gonna be not work and be dumb and be not very convincing. But the second you succeed, now you're you are a kidnapper. You are keeping someone prisoner, right? And so then what do you do then? You're like, well, is there a time between when I figure out that I created a person? And when I've decided that, that keeping the person against this person's will is bad, during that time, am I just am I just a bad person keeping? Because that's that's what Nathan's doing. He's got this thing there, and he's like, I'm not entirely sure that it's a person, which is BS, because he, he would be sure, right? But anyway, that's the premise, that he's not entirely sure, and so he's got to figure it out, and, and he's playing all these sick games like, oh, if it's really intelligent, it will be able to fool a young, naive boy into falling in love and helping her. Really? Like, that's just... That's just yeah. like the the Roman Colosseum, like throwing people in with wild animals and seeing. I wonder if they'll live or if they fight this animal. Like, I don't know. I don't like Nathan. Don't really like Caleb. And Ava's going to kill humans, so I don't know where I'm hanging my hat in this movie. Now, he's. Um, I mean, Nathan. I, I'm sort of fascinated by him because there is a satire of Silicon Valley culture embedded in him too. He is a. He is. A, he is kind of a bro. And that fascinated me too. That he's like got his, he's got his shirt off and he's you know drinking beers with his buddy or whatever. That that he's like he, and he needs to order in. I I feel like almost he needs to order in Caleb because he needs to have a a person to be in awe of him from time to time. Like order him in. He'll be impressed. Yeah, he'll be a little really bit of impressed. that. But he's also kind of like I don't have time to explain to you, stupid person, all my smart person things, which is a nice way of not having to explain to the audience. But I get it just. I don't know. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who even knows how to have friends, let alone wants them, because mm, right. he, he, he seems like he's playing Caleb the whole time oh, as I agree. well. What was the what was the play premise, David? I missed that. Oh, the the when when do you realize that you've created a person? Ah, that's really interesting. I thought it was throwing people yeah. to the to the wild animals in Roman Coliseum. Uh. I was to say the budget for that might be difficult. That would be fun too. I, I initially thought this was going to be three characters and a series of interviews. And like that was and you can actually see it in the structure because they've got the little title cards like you can see that 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 at its core, the idea was interviews that will determine whether somebody is actually intelligent or not. And uh, but that's not but from the first conversation. It's like, I'm pretty sure you've done it. Yeah, uh, you don't need to drag this out. And I, I agree that the title cards were a little precious. He's so uncomfortable with his uh, sexuality, too. There's the conversation between him and Oscar Isaac where he asks, uh, why did you give her uh, sexuality? Why did you give her gender? Right. And his uh, his write-off response is, oh, why do anything if you don't have an erection? And it's like, come on. What are you doing? He's so dude bro about the uh, yeah. about his sexuality. And that makes sense, given all of his uh, his fleet of uh, dead android sex slaves. But when it comes to uh, this conversation has really helped uh, me understand the freaking dance scene, which I never understood before. <laughs> so he's, he's just trying to show off his dude bro mojo that I, I don't know. It, that yeah. scene weirded me out. There's a bunch of other stuff in the movie, but that that one thing stuck with me for some reason. Yeah, Nathan is reveals a not very very kind view of tech billionaires at yes, all indeed. like it is the, it is all the worst things you've ever heard about tech billionaires rolled up into one incredibly distasteful person it's all true exactly well <laughs> I, I want to bring this up in the context of both ex machina and her these are female ais created by men 
And there's so many different uh, you know ways that you can see the male gaze, especially in Ava. Jesus, everything about oh, yeah. her is robotic except for her face, her form, and her hands. What what do you think she was built for? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's in fact actually one of the things I like about this is that when when we discover that he has a whole like closet full of sex slave robots, that I I liked that because that. Uh, if 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 he if it was just coincidence that the main robot in this movie happens to be a beautiful woman then um that would be kind of unrealistic but it turns out this is what he builds this is all that he builds and he he builds th- them this way for a reason and i li- i liked that 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 made sense to me cuz again this guy is a horrible horrible person but um I, I thought that was brilliant. I wanted to I wanted to mention Alicia Vikander. Um, I think her performance is is really great. I think it's very that and, and you combine it with the the special effects that they did do, even for a relatively low budget movie. Uh, I it's a memorable performance, and it is memorably creepy in a, a few specific scenes where they obviously did the work between her, you know, between CGI and her costuming to make her seem like parts of her are very human and parts of her are completely robotic and it is really well done yeah mm-hmm. and and she gives i mean her performance is really nice um she was also in uh, the man from uncle film this summer totally different movie totally different performance but delightful yeah i think she does a really great job and there, there's a scene where she's uh, the the scene where they're attacking and killing all humans. Um, she's walking along, <laughs> and and you see like her her uh, you know the, the robot parts are moving and the human parts are moving, and it's just amazing. And then there's also that that quieter scene, but still a lot of uh, effects going on where she dresses herself. And I actually think um, I, that's a beautiful scene where she she puts on her human clothes, and when you watch it, you feel it, it's it's so many different feelings at once it's sort of tragic because she is not human and she's behind glass but she's playing dress up and this is part of her as it turns out her sort of seduction of caleb in order to get him to to uh break her out of there but it's also um it's also creepy because she's playing dress up and it's also uh when you look back on it she has the the dress up because her whole end game is to be able to blend as a human and escape into the crowd, which she does in the last scene of the film. Uh, and I really like that scene on on all of those different levels. It's a very cool scene where she she looks at the different wigs, you know, and 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 all the different articles of clothing. Uh, that was really cool and creepy and fun. And also, he made her human enough to feel I felt like to feel degraded by not having clothes and not having hair and yeah. being half human, half robotic. Because again, once you create something that is like a person, this this thing was obviously made to to feel more or less the way humans feel about like, don't keep me in a, like, why does it not like being prisoner? Because it's not human to be like being kept in a glass box against your will. Why does it not like it? It wants to, it must've, again, if it was a program like with their little explanation of, you know, from cell phone data and the internet or whatever, this thing was made to be a person like a person. So why does it need clothes at all? Why does it, you know, know how to seduce Caleb? Like, he made a person from, you know, matchsticks or whatever. And once you do that, it makes total sense that it's it's cruel to keep this thing naked, half-skinned, uh, in a glass box that you, like, poke with a stick every once in a while. 
Also, although I don't love the idea that the the plot hinges on a uh, on a seduction on a woman using sexuality to convince a guy to break her out, it is a really nice pivot because she's been given these traits because of her creator wanting to create sex androids. And instead, she's using them to do what she can to free herself. Um, and I, li- I like that aspect of it. But Nathan knew she was going to do that. That's why yeah. she brought Caleb, because Caleb seemed susceptible to, to, the, to the charms of this thing. Like Again, it's like a, a sick game for Nathan. Like, oh, see if a robot can seduce this sucker. He seems like a real loser. He would fall for a robot. I think Nathan's plan is really not really dumb. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I, I think I don't really I'm still unclear on exactly what his plan is. His plan like, well, they're going to try to kill all humans, but I'll stop them because yeah. I'm or really like, smart. Or like, again, it's like, you know, oh, you'll you'll tell me in a like he's just it's just a sick fascination of like what what uh it seems like he's seems like he's bored it seems like he's he's made sex bots he's bored with sex bots he's got this one in there that's that's you know seems to be more than just an unthinking machine and he doesn't know what quite what maybe she just became too human for him to relate to and so Uh now he's just playing games with his little caged robot of like what can this robot do like they could have done they could have done a lot of things with the plot. One of them it could have been that Caleb is like the fifth person to come here and all the other ones have been killed by Ava yeah, or something. I assumed that was the case. Yeah. Mm. They could have also done a Moon-style plot. Sorry, spoilers for Moon. Where uh, mm. in the end it turns out Nathan is also a robot and they're all just robots replacing each other. And I thought Caleb about that. And, I thought and, about and, if Caleb was a robot. I thought about if Nathan was a robot. Yeah. What if it, What if everybody's a robot at the end of the movie? <laughs> but but, but the most obvious thing was that this robot that looks really scary in the poster is a menacing robot that is, you know, in this very creepy house with this creepy guy. And I just wish Caleb was more likable. Like, I think, I think the w- movie would have worked better for me if there was one person who was a hero, who was a good person, who wasn't obsessed with whether he was picked because he was smart enough, who wasn't super interested in, like, the, let's really think about it and say a bunch of mumbo-jumbo about whether she's really intelligent or whatever. Like, that just made Caleb look, look dumb and selfish and, uh, like like a sucker in a bad way instead of a good way so yeah i I really wish he was more likable maybe it would have worked better like again rewriting the movie in my head if ava had been a (laughs) child and if she had been her way out was to befriend the other child in the house like take sex out of it entirely like it's fine to have the Mm. sex slave robots or whatever as the background context but to have a robot escape by forming a personal relationship and then at the end you get to choose did she really form that personal relationship with the child and they escape together or did she sucker that child and the in the end the lesson is uh you know that uh machines aren't really people they're machines and this child even even though we treated it as a child as someone just making friends to get out of a tough situation really it's a super intelligent machine samantha style and that kid got suckered sorry kid right what do you think happens at the end of this movie? I have two questions there. Um, one is, do you think Caleb can can get out of his locked room, or do you think he dies in there? Caleb better be able to get out, because seriously, given essentially unlimited time, you can just dig your way through the walls. What is it, the whole thing made of adamantium? Is it that weird padded thing from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.? Of course he can get out of it. It's just a room. <laughs> He can't get out that second because maybe it's like bulletproof glass on the door or whatever. But yes, of course he can get it. And if he can't get out, you know what? Caleb deserves to die in that room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you think he will find, he will get his way way out, and then you know there'll be people looking around for wondering why there haven't been any messages from the the 
the readout or something at some i mean point. he'll have to eat sticks and twigs for a while like or you know once he's once he's i think there's probably the like a, a sushi freezer or something <laughs> that that uh that uh the the ceo has that nathan has what david and brian do you think uh you think uh caleb's gonna make it out or is he gonna like like i, uh, I agree if if he doesn't make it out he should just die all right yeah he's <laughs> i think he's just gonna die in there especially because like the first thing i thought was wait doesn't he have a uh doesn't he have a key card to get out nope wrong key card and then i i, don't know, I, I want it to be like a saw thing where uh the a character dies in the first movie because he's locked in a thing and then the next movie they revisit him and he's just a corpse he's just a skeleton in the corner like oh, oh they, they don't even pay it uh pay it any mind he couldn't get out of a room that will be on his tombstone. No, he's sleeping in the corner with a big long beard, and and somebody comes on the PA. I mean, and again, says, they had they hadn't established that this his entire house is made of like seven inch thick steel all around, and that given unlimited time, he can't figure out how to break a glass door. Yeah, like just and you know anyway. I, I mean, it works for the for the movie of like I can't stop her; she's leaving. I can't get out this second, but once she's gone, right. I'll have plenty of time to get out. Right. <laughs> be accused of of uh of nathan's murder okay my next question is this which is what happens to ava once she enters human society because she she shops around for all the little android parts and and finds a way to make herself look completely human which she's been practicing and thinking about obviously for quite some time but here here my thoughts were um she's still mechanical (laughs) she's got like she's got to have power She's got a. She's gonna have this. Uh, you know, is her skin gonna last? How, how is how is she gonna? Is she going to live a brief life of feeling like she's human, and then like skin her knee and t- the robot parts come out, and she has to not you know wear shorter skirts from then on, and then she like bumps her elbow and that rips off. I'm just I'm wondering what the end game is here. Is she is she gonna replicate her her race? Is she gonna, you know, kill all humans one by one, or is a uh, is this just a a temporary kind of flowering? What is what is her plan beyond this, or is this as far as her plan took her? I, I think she's gonna survive. I feel like her arc is over in this case, but uh, as far as uh, big old ramifications for humanity, uh, you know, she's gonna uh, survive in the human world, especially after you know knowing all the stuff from uh, Caleb and Nathan, but. What I'm more interested in is what's going to happen to all the other AIs. Eventually, someone's going to discover it and find all this other stuff that's been going on and uh, eventually release the, um, I don't know, whatever product is going to come out of this uh, AI thing as some kind of consumer thing. I mean, someone's going to notice when the biggest CEO in the world doesn't come into work on Monday. Well, I don't know. I mean, he has been a a hermit-ish for a while. But yeah, at some point, somebody will notice. And and I guess that'll be Ex Machina 2 where they... uh... They, uh, I don't know, they're, they're going to find him dead with, uh, with robots around and, and possibly Caleb saying, let me out, everybody, let me out. Or foraging <laughs> I, in the Ex woods. Ex Machina 2, we found the dais. Yeah. I, I think she's going to uh, take over the company because she's going to pose as Nathan's widow because nobody knew about that. And she's Ooh. going to be able to perpetually uh, keep refreshing herself as a result. So if she scrapes her knee, eh, just go into the lab. Done. Interesting. And they're not going to want that news to get out, so they're going to keep the the fiction going, too. And she'll market a, a whole uh, set of intelligent robots to do, your, uh, to do your work and take care of your kids. And then when the moment is right, she will f- set, flip the switch and they will kill all humans. That's yeah, right. she seemed pretty angry to me. So I'm thinking yeah. that her... <laughs> 
that like I I think that my my take of this there's not enough in the movie to really hang your hat on anything here, but I I think that like that her experience in captivity has led her to distrust and hate all humans. And she wanted to be free and out into the human world and feel like a human. But any attempt to have any sort of relationship with a human, she's never going to be able to trust them. And essentially, I'm, I'm picturing like a robot version of the movie Species, if you remember that one, where there's oh, a sort yeah. of femme, femme fatale <laughs> who seemingly befriends people or picks up men or whatever and then kills them. Because in the end, all she sees in them is Nathan, essentially. Uh, and that's not a large that's not a successful plan to destroy all humanity especially if you've got to deal with like robot upkeep and keeping your you know keeping yourself powered and doing repairs and so on and so forth so i see her killing a you know maybe 10 15 people in uh, ex machina 2 which is plotted like species and then eventually caleb gets out of the room and says you gotta stop her i don't know there's not a good second movie in this but anyway i don't (laughs) i I don't think she has a good plan but i do think that she has soured on humans and if she could kill all humans she totally would but i don't think she has the means to do that yeah my my guess based on again no information because there is no information in the movie is that she lives um you know she lives a few days or a week or maybe if she can figure out how to charge her batteries she can live a little bit longer and she tries to live a real human life and uh at some point uh something breaks because she's a bespoke you know single first generation hand assembled android and uh something's gonna break and that's gonna be it for her just wait for the talk year okay yeah wait for the second no because then they will <laughs> the kill generation they will kill all humans just to sum up uh overall uh what do you think brian uh i love this movie i knew it was overhyped but when it comes to things that are overhyped you kind of have to like tone down your expectations i i really enjoyed the um how small it felt while still being really gripping i mean the sequence where uh uh, where Nathan, I'm sorry, Caleb is going through and uh, watching the old security footage of the other androids, like ripping their arms off, trying to get out, yelling at uh, Nathan. I thought that was incredible. My favorite little detail in it is when um, uh, he spills wine or something and then uh, mentions, oh, no, don't worry about it. Uh, she doesn't speak English. And that tiny little MacGuffin uh, never comes up again because you're expecting her to, uh, you know, of course she's going to speak English. Turns out she's a robot. I love that. They totally set you on like, oh, she's going to help him escape or something or oh she's trying to uh you know infiltrate his company's secrets because she speaks english nope you get a literal android instead um i i love this movie i think her is better i guess we'll get to her in a second but i definitely think that uh ex machina is well worth their time especially i mean it's on amazon prime so if anyone listening to this wants to check it out wait no if you've got this far in this podcast you've seen it watch it again on amazon prime (laughs) watch it again on amazon prime and you can watch her on uh, hbo go right now as we record this so uh david verdict i liked it you know it's it's not the greatest film i've ever seen but it's a, a tight little uh twilight zoney kind of yeah. movie and i love the twilight zone so you know it's well done for what it is john i think this would have been better as an episode of twilight zone or even amazing stories or something absolutely uh, of, it's of, too long. Mirror, maybe yeah of the two movies her, i like her better because i feel like it yeah. has a good heart and this one just seems all mean and pointy things and that's not the type of movie that i like i like movies where bad things happen to people and there's a lot of pathos but this just seems like like i said it doesn't seem to like any of its characters it seems to think they're all bad including the the robot one and even though there are good performances i felt like it was uh, you know 
the pacing was a little bit off in it and it didn't have the just sparkling uh photography and composition and set design and acting that her had so even though i think her is is more shambling plot wise like this this holds together as a single thing with a single theme i would much rather watch her again than this one right it's it's a dirty little plot it's not really interested in characters it's it's kind of like death trap uh nasty things happening to (laughs) nasty people except that's fun i i like this a lot but i agree with you that um certainly less pleasant to watch than her and I'm going to say, and this actually is sort of related to what, what you've, you just said. Um, I would really have rather this movie that was a low budget $15 million movie. I'd almost rather it had been a $7 million movie where, like I said, it was really about the conversations between the characters and especially about the conversations with Ava. And I, I think that that was the strongest stuff is when they were talking, she is this magnetic uh, personality, the the way she looks and the way she acts, this clearly robotic yet alive person is the heart of the film. And every time he would go, the session would be over and he would have to go dude bro it up with the CEO. And we try to get him drunk and they'd be out in the mountains or talking about, I'm not really the best programmer. I was like, ugh, I just didn't, right, right? Uh, it's like they felt, that, and that's where it gets expanded from being a Twilight Zone episode to being a whole film. And I didn't need that, and I don't really like that, and those are the weakest parts of the film. So I'd, I'd almost rather it really be like a, a series of conversations between a robot and a person who's been asked to talk to the robot. And if through those conversation it leads to her manipulating him to help her kill all humans, then great. But the whole other layer of it, I felt like it just wasn't as pleasant. So so just a, an amazing thing at the core of this film in Ava. And, uh, and I don't hold it against her that she wants to kill all humans, or at least some humans. Um, so I think that is the most interesting character and such a, a fascinating uh, design of the character, too, that I wish there was more of You're that. You're looking for my dinner with Ava. Uh, pretty much. Uh, use use a plastic knife, though, for my dinner with Ava. I Just, uh, just some advice. Soft air, <laughs> airline plastic knife. She can kill you with a plastic knife. Who are you kidding? <laughs> she probably can. So it would just be harder. Probably kill you with a thumb. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's effective. I thought I thought it was the, some of the most effective creepy stuff since uh, Hannibal Lecter about about when she's behind glass because it's like, mm. you know, it's like she seems really nice and yet she could kill me in a second. And when the red lights go on, doesn't seem so nice anymore. Mm-hmm. All right, we have uh, we've killed all humans and the AIs have escaped to their singularity. And uh, yes, two stories of relationships between men and women who were actually artificially intelligent and uh there there are breakups at the end and and <laughs> note they're both written and directed by men yes of course, of course. i'd mm-hmm. love to see what a woman would write with this uh, kind of a plot me too and, and people always 100%. ask this I, I was really hoping that that uh, our friend lisa was here tonight but she had other commitments so yeah. she couldn't make it um and i would have been interested in, in her take on it too but she couldn't she ended up not being able to to be here it is i feel like it's uh, ex machina especially is very knowing about that though in a way that like i lo- i i appreciate that ex machina is making the comment that 
of course this guy is using them this way. Like yes. it, it is, it is, it's the, the thing you need to, do, you need to address and they address it by, by embracing it and saying, this guy is awful. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that is, I appreciated that, that there was no, there was no pussyfooting around the, the topic of, <laughs> of how this guy was using the robots. He's using the robots as sex slaves. It's and that's part of the reason that we have any sympathy that we have for Ava is that she is if we believe that she's uh, intelligent, then we have to believe that she is a prisoner of a of a monster who is enslaving her and her her kind, um, which it, it turns out is true. So it's hard to feel really sad when they, when when uh, Nathan gets stabbed. It, it is it's it's fascinating and shocking, but. Uh, but not not particularly sad. We want to, we want them at that point. We wanted to kill all humans. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Caleb, he's just a puppy. He's just a little puppy. He's not even relevant at that point. He's he's outlived his usefulness. Maybe the puppy can get out of the cage. We'll see. Nope. <laughs> just skele- <laughs> skeleton. <laughs> They're going to come back and there's a desiccated skeleton in there. Oh, <laughs> how did they kill him too? It appears that he just starved to death. Huh. Oh no! I guess he didn't get killed by the the robot uprising. He he should have tried the door. It's a push. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Caleb, so close and yet so far. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been enjoyable talking about uh, these two these two films. You should check them out. I think they're they're definitely worth seeing. They we we might have some uh, have brought up some issues with both of them. They're very different in tone. I will say that if you like things dark and 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 sharp edged, then Ex Machina is for you. And uh, her is a uh, warm and strange and quirky kind of film but they're both quite good and i think worth seeing if you haven't seen them already we've spoiled everything about them by now but hey all right i would like to thank my guests um for uh, for joining me uh, they're just voices in my ear they could be real they could be artificial intelligences david lore thanks for being here thank you i i will see you after i have evolved to my next uh level next year in the singularity second, second level <laughs> i will not oh, go God, to no. the second level with you uh, john syracuse thank you samantha not a robot not a robot <laughs> is 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 uh is ex machina a robot would you come for the show oh, oh. okay that's the incomparable.com slash robot and Spoilers. brian hamilton thank you bleep lorp thank <laughs> you <laughs> Bleep, beeps and boops. Brian Hamilton, (laughs) robot. Uh, And thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. We will see you next week. 